is our sixth service this weekend, so this is like crazy, and so this is going to be the best one yet, right? Just so you know, that's like a value for me, so if you're a guest and you're new here, like whatever's last shall be first, hallelujah, I'm about to shuck the corn, people, <laughs> oh man, that's, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to have fun one way or the other, that's the bottom line, I don't think people who come in for the last service should get sloppy, you know, seconds or leftovers, right? So what can help me is you talking back at me while I preach, and so we're kind of, we're that kind of a church, and so I hope that you will do that, you can say, preach it white boy, you can say, you know, keep it up. <laughs> You know, whatever you want to do, that's all, that's all good with me. Hey, listen, I heard this story because uh, we we're talking about Easter today. This is not a true story, so don't get upset if you hear a little thing you don't like, okay? It's just, it's just a story. But there was a husband and wife, and they wanted to, for their bucket list, go to the Holy Land for their vacation. This was just a bucket list. It was a dream. But the wife comes to the husband and says, um, you know, our mother-in-law lives with us, honey, and so we're going to have to bring her along on the vacation, so the husband wasn't too happy about that, but he's like, whatever. He, you know, he drops a few more bucks. They all go. While they're there in the Holy Land, like right out of the gate, the mother-in-law gets sick and she dies. And so the tour guy's got this whole plan, but he's like so concerned for them. He goes to the husband. He said, hey, listen, you can send her body back to the United States or you can bury her here. Uh, if you send back, you don't know this, but if you send the body back to the United States, it's going to cost $5,000. But if you bury her here in the Holy Land, it's only $150, the low, low price of $150. <laughs> so what would you like to do? The husband says, oh, without even hesitating, send her home. He's like, I don't get it. Why would you want to send somebody back? You know, you spend all that money you could, for $150 in the Holy Land. He says, listen, 2,000 years ago, a guy died. Three days later, he came back to life, and I can't take that chance. <laughs> All the mother-in-laws, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know if you have outlaws, in-laws, I don't know what you have. We call them in-loves in our family. My mother in love, if she's watching, that was for you. Okay, and don't try to go on vacation with me. All right. The moral of the story. So anyway, today as we kind of get into our topic, uh, I'm not going to try to convince you, uh, uh, spend a lot of time talking about Jesus as the Son of God or Jesus uh, rose from the dead, although we will talk about that. It will be interspersed within the message. Uh, and I'm not going to try to spend a lot of time to convince you of that because I think if you, uh, anybody who is uh, objective and responsible can uh, see historical evidence, can see kind of some of the proof in the pudding when it comes to Jesus being the Son of God, that he was more than a teacher, that he was more than just kind of a, a rabbi, he was more than a prophet. I think if you, you can see there is definitely a case for Christ. And, and when you look at the resurrection, I think one of the proof positives, you know, is, is that, you know, uh, the church emerged as a result of a man who came back to life. And so our faith, our belief system is it's validated and verified by a man who came back to life. And one of the distinctions between Christianity and all the other major religions of the world are not the teachings of a person, but it was that a person actually died and came back and he said he was going to do that. I think that's just amazing. And so today I'm going to kind of, I will talk about that a little bit, but I want to take a different twist, perhaps 
a deeper look at what I think motivates a lot of people's faith. I think it motivates a lot of our faithfulness, both practically and relationally. And though some people do have an issue with Jesus being the Son of God, although in America today, that's more a minority, and though some people don't believe he actually rose from the dead, a lot of people in the United States of America do believe that, though there is a decline amongst millennials all the way up to Generation Z, which I submit to is because people aren't coming together in faith and being encouraged and rooted and grounded in the Word of God. But most people still believe it. Where people have an issue... Where the bigger problem is, isn't so much with the resurrection, it's with the name of the one who rose. There's this issue with an, an association with this name. The problem is the, sim, the, the, the name symbolizes and represents even more uh, to, to its followers and to the people that influence the world. It's this name that gets people all, you know, a lot of friction, a lot of frustration. And what I hope to help you see is though many may have a problem with name dropping Jesus, many don't realize that dropping his name is actually the solution. And so today's message is entitled Name Drop. Turn to your neighbor and say Name Drop. Now, I'm pretty sure most of you know what that term means. Uh, when you name drop, you're going to let somebody know you know somebody who's a big deal. <laughs> My wife will always name drop. How, how many have ever heard of Chris Tomlin? He's a famous worship leader. Raise your hand. Have you heard of him? Okay. Well, he wrote the most popular Christian song in the world today, How Great Is Our God. And um, anyway, my wife, whenever you, you see Chris Tomlin, you listen to Chris Tomlin, she'll always drop the name. She goes, my, 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 my um, cousin, Daniel, is the lead guitarist for Chris Tomlin. And everyone's like, oh, really? And, and so she always does that little name drop. Sometimes we name drop when we're trying to kind of uh, wow or shazam something. Shazam, hey, that's a pretty good movie out right now. But anyway, sorry, I get squirrel. Uh, so I got sidetracked there for a second. But sometimes we drop a name because we're trying to influence, impact, or maybe even impress somebody. There's something powerful about a name. Names start early in life because somebody named us. How many of you were born? Okay, praise the Lord. All right, well, when you were born, your parents deliberated over your name. What was it going to be? What were you going to be called? And a lot of times, some people pay a lot of attention to that because they know it's going to have significance. It might even influence the trajectory and course of your life, your name. My parents named me a certain name because they, they wanted it to impact me. My name means leader of men. And, 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 but, you know, I, I didn't lead anybody for a long time, you know what I'm saying, because I didn't really make the connection. There's power in a name. When I was first, you know, came into this world, my parents were deciding if I was a girl, I was going to be named Erica, and if I was a boy, I was going to be named Derek. That's what they talked about together. But behind the scenes, my dad would talk to his friends, and he, was, he grew up in the 50s. And so he wanted to name me something else that he didn't think he could get past my mom. Do you want to know what that name was? All right, drum roll, please. He wanted to name me Ace. <laughs> oh. Can you imagine if, like, a few minutes ago, my wife and I come out here and, like, hey, welcome, Stace and Ace. Stace, Ace, Ace. That would have been terrible. That would have been the weird. Thank God they didn't name me that. Thank God I got the name I got. And then, of course, my parents named me Derek and had a weird spelling. And it's not D-E-R-E-K. It's not D-E-R-I-C-K. It's D-E-R-Y. Why did they do that? I don't know. Don't be mad at me. My parents did it. People would be like, why do you put uh? Anyway, I'm just working some stuff out, okay? 
How about, how about nicknames? Anybody ever get a nickname? Like, we're having a hard enough time living up to our names, so we give people nicknames. Anybody get nicknames? Yeah. I had a nickname for my wife, called her Boo. This is my Boo. She called me something else, and I'm not telling you what that is. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we have these we have these nicknames, and they kind of, sometimes we don't like those nicknames. You know, when I was growing up, my, um, <laughs> my, my family and different relatives, they used to call me Little D. And I've been working to get rid of that for 50 years. And I've been working out to get rid of that for like 50 years, and I think I've finally done it. So mad at that name. I hated that name. Then they used to call me Little ears when they were trying to make fun of me. And I do have little ears, and you can kind of see how little they are. Oh, can zero in on that? All right. Get over it, okay? That's why I got over little D to get big so I could get comfortable with my little ears. But people, sometimes we, we give people nicknames. We don't let the real name stick, even though it's so important. I have two grandsons, and, 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 and one of them's named Hudson, and one's named Zion. They're both somewhere in the building today. And, and Hudson, bless his little heart. Uh, we don't call him Hudson. We call him Bubba. <laughs> Bubba Jack, Butterbean. You know, all, every, the poor kid's going to be confused. Zion, same thing. Zion, we call him Z, Z-U, Ziku, Ziku, Z-U, Z-U. You know what I mean? It's like he's a speeding car, like going by. And <laughs> poor kid doesn't know his name. Parents, we name our kids, and then we don't even call them what we name. Then grandparents, we don't get to name our kids. We get to name ourselves. And so as a grandparent, I decided to call myself Big Poppy. I'm not Little D. I'm Big Poppy. It's a reaction, okay, to all these childhood experiences. And, and so I want to be called Poppy. And I'm afraid, you know, your grandkids, they don't really care what you call you. So they're going to call you whatever they want. He could call me Pee Pee. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Did I just say that in church? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so we all struggle with names. But what do we know? There's something important about a name. There's something important with that connection, and, and sometimes they hurt us, sometimes they help us, sometimes they rub us the wrong way, sometimes they point the right way. And so whether intuitively or intentionally, we know that a name, when we drop it, tends to open a door, uh, fix a situation, influence or impact someone with the use of or association with a particular name. We may do it to impress, we may do it to, to impact someone. We know name dropping does something, yes or no? And so I want to kind of influence you with this thought that everything changes when you name drop. Everything changes when you, from your professions to your connections. You know it's the same for you. And you sometimes are doing it, you know, uh, to try to show up. But sometimes it's something that is strategic. Sometimes it's more a principle and sometimes I think it's a principle that comes from God. We know there's a certain power in the association with and in the use of a name. And I think that actually comes from God. And so what I want to do today is to have you leave today with a greater awareness of belief in conviction about the ultimate name drop is the name of Jesus. Can I have a better amen from this Easter service? The ultimate name drop is the name of Jesus. And so we're, what, one way or the other, when you drop that name, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Okay, now I'm going to take you to a book in the Bible, Acts chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. This is when the early church emerges. We're going to look at a verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. But the context of this text, what pre previously is happening kind of here is this is post-resurrection. Jesus has lived 
a sinless life. He's died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the perfect sacrifice. We call it the atonement. And he makes a way for us to be right with God by dealing with the penalty and the consequence of our sin. And only he could do that. And the cross is very significant. We just celebrated that. But So not only does he help us as a result with our sin and the payment of it, but he helps us with this life by coming back to life. So he defeated death and the grave. And so whatever is kind of holding you back, whatever's got you in a, a grave or a cave in your life, because Jesus rose from that, you can overcome as well in this life. That's the significance of the resurrection. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and then he reveals himself to hundreds and hundreds of people. There's historical record that over 500 people witnessed and saw the signs in his body that he rose from the dead and that he was the one who was on the cross for us. And then he, uh, he ascends into heaven, and there are witnesses that behold this, and you can read this in the first part of the book of Acts. As a result, of this witness as a result of these things that were both seen and heard. People who were once having a personal internship with Jesus, one-to-one -one discipleship, uh, like Peter, for example, who couldn't even stand up to a little girl. He couldn't uh, name drop Jesus in that moment for fear and intimidation. Later, because of what he, he and others had both seen and heard, and because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that made them bold, they would share their faith to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And so Peter and John are on their way to church. And on their way to church, uh, they come to this place, this gate beautiful, where this man is brought every day, this lame person, and he goes there to beg for money. And he sees Peter, and he sees John, and he looks up to them thinking that he's gonna, they're going to give him something. And Peter says this to them. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, get ready, get ready, get ready, what I do have, I give you in the name. Everybody say in the name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped his feet to his feet and began to walk. Then he went, basically he goes to church. And he shows up, this miraculous thing had transpired. And everybody's looking at him. And he's leaping and praising God. And they're amazed and they're in awe of what had just transpired. And Peter, realizing now in these moments that he has a captive audience because he's a changed man because of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach and proclaim uh, Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And in Acts chapter 4, this whole kind of uh, explosion or, or this, this, uh, this eruption of growth within the local church is transpiring. And the leaders, the religious leaders of this time, you're going to see in a few seconds, were pretty fired up. And so in Acts 4, verse 1, it says the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, by the way. That mean, that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And right while they're preaching, and they, and they were greatly disturbed because these apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail. And they kind of hold him up until the next day when 
Others heard, though, in spite of the fact that they're pulled away, others heard the message. The Bible says that the church explodes and 5,000 people come to faith, are converted, and become followers of Christ. See, this is where it all began, just so you guys know. Prior to this, uh, this, this Christianity wasn't really known. But because of what happened on this Resurrection Sunday, the church began to explode. And nothing could contain it then, and to this day, nothing can contain it now. Amen. And so they, they, they're staying overnight, and the rulers are like, what are we going to do? These religious leaders, what are we going to do with these guys? We can't let this continue. And they asked this strategic question in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. They said this, and this is critical to the message. By what power or what name did you do this? In other words, there was a clear connection between power and a name. Name and a power. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Isn't it interesting that they knew, what I think we intuitively know as well, that some things can only happen by their connection and association with a name. Certain names carry weight. Certain names carry a certain amount of authority or power or influence. And apparently, this particular name carried a lot of weight. And so Peter, again, leverages the moment. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I'll tell you how, I'll tell you who. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the way, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he zeroes in and says, by the way, you're going to need something from this man in the very near future. And he says in the next verse, salvation is found in no one else. By the way, G Jesus, this is his word. He said this in John 14, 6 as well. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we can be saved, rescued, delivered. And so he speaks this to them. And they couldn't deny the miracle that had been performed. Couldn't deny uh, the results. But don't know what to do with these guys. And so they deliberate. And they're trying to shut her down. They're trying to stifle this whole thing. And in Acts 4, 17, critical thing here happens. They say, to stop this thing. What? What thing? This name dropping that keeps multiplying, that, that is seemingly contagious. See, the church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be a monument. It was supposed to be a movement. It wasn't supposed to be something that people just show up and they stay inside four walls of the building and they keep their little faith to themselves and they pray kumbayas and eat doritos and they look at each other and they say a few nice things and they go home. No, this message was supposed to be proclaimed throughout the whole earth because God in heaven wants his children to be with him forever. And this is the message, the good news that must be preached until he comes back. Can I have an amen? So to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. In other words, no more name-dropping Jesus. Stop it. Discontinue this immediately. And I submit to you, for 2,000 years, Satan has tried to stop People from name-dropping Jesus, Satan and culture and world systems and certain even faiths and religions have tried to stop people from name-dropping Jesus. And thank God for people like Paul and John. And thank God for people like the Apostle Paul. And thank God for some of the Christian leaders who have forged the way and opened doors and brought the gospel to other parts of the earth. Thank God that we still preach the gospel, even in Massachusetts, in Ashland, Mass., in Framingham, Mass., on a day like today. We can never stop name-dropping Jesus. Can I have an amen? Write this down in your notes. The big idea is this. You can't stop this name-drop. 
Now, I'm telling you that from a personal standpoint, and I'm telling you that from a factual standpoint. You can't stop sharing this. It, Christianity is breathing. What you receive, God wants you to give away. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it what? I'm going to let it shine. We shine until Jesus comes. But let me tell you something. If you don't, nothing's going to stop his name from being proclaimed. If God won't use you, he's going to use someone else if we're unwilling to do that. We may be, the good news has been printed, and the people of God are the delivery system. But if he won't use you, he'll use somebody else. And if they won't agree to it, he'll let the rocks cry out. He's going to get the word out one way or the other. Jesus' name will be glorified. The association with Jesus' name is so important, though, to your life now and your afterlife. So critical. But in the now, I think it's important for you to know what Jesus said. If you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. It's so important that we never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Some listening don't realize also uh, the significant benefits of this association. And so as a result, we misuse the name. We abuse the name. Sometimes we avoid the name altogether. It's not even a part of our vocabulary. We just say God, and sometimes we say other things, you know, a divine power. No, it's the name of Jesus that's above every name. Can I have an amen? And so you might be a skeptic. You might be a stumbler. You might be a seeker. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you have to admit there's something about this name. This name, Jesus. Why would a carpenter's son from, from a little Palestinian area in a little town of Nazareth, in a, in a smallest country, perhaps one of them in the world, uh, still create so much controversy 2,000 years later? Why is it that time is divided by this man? Why is it that there's a birthday that celebrates this man? Why is it that when we curse, we only find a certain satisfaction when we say his name? I believe all of those things testify that there is something special about the name of Jesus. There is a certain weight and there is a certain authority about it. Why is it that people can talk about God, but as soon as we say Jesus, something gets funny? It's because there's something significant about the name. Jesus. Can I have an amen? amen. Did you know that the use of the name of Jesus was also forbidden in all prayers in the opening sessions of the Massachusetts State House? Last year, a federal appeals court ruled that prayers before commission meetings that included the name of Jesus were unconstitutional. Volunteer chaplains in many states in the union were banned from using the name of Jesus in public prayers. A federal judge threatened an incarceration to a high school valedictorian unless she removed references to Jesus from her graduation speech. A federal judge held that prayers before state House of Representatives could be to Allah, but not to Jesus. And even Duck Dynasty not too long ago came under scrutiny tremendously for in their closing episode by praying in the name of Jesus. And so I want to go on record today as the pastor of this church. As for me, as for my own house, and as for this spiritual house, we will keep name dropping Jesus until Jesus comes back. Because heaven is real. And hell is real. And Jesus is the real solution to our real problems in this world today. And I just want to say that Jesus is the name that's above every name. Can I have an amen? So what happens? Write this down if you're taking notes. Four things. What happens? I'm going to use an acronym. What happens when we name drop Jesus? Number one, it's recognized like no other name. We've already established that there is a weight, there is a power that is carried in certain names, and that, in fact, is a principle of God. But as a principle, we can see from God's word that he established one name that would be the highest. 
Therefore, carry the most authority. Therefore, carry the most influence. Therefore, carry the most power and impact. In Philippians chapter 2, look at it with me. God speaking says, therefore, God, he decided to exalt him, Jesus, to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above what? Every name. That at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Continue. And every tongue will acknowledge one day, either way, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is the ultimate authority. His name carries authority wherever you are, wherever you go. His name is so powerful. I don't know how to try to explain this except with a real simple uh, illustration. I, I, I found out recently that one of my favorite movies of all time is coming back out again, and that's The Lion King. And two of my favorite characters in this, of course, are the central characters, Simba. But I have to be honest with you, my favorite character is Mufasa. Everybody just say that, Mufasa. Doesn't that sound strong? And so I can remember this one scene, you know, Mufasa's the king and Simba's the king-to-be. He's the king's kid, but he really doesn't realize it. He doesn't know it. He's in an identity crisis. And Mufasa uh, just has this uh, authority and this power just in his name. In fact, these hyenas were in a cave and they were talking about the king. And they, one of them had just taken a little beating from Mufasa. And so he just goes, he just said, Mufasa. He goes, say it again. He goes, Mufasa. He goes, he goes, say it again, Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. <laughs> and they just, these little hyenas are like freaking out just from saying his name. And I want you to know something. There's an, there's an authority associated with the name of Jesus. When you say Jesus, demons tremble. When you say Jesus, doors open. When you say Jesus, diseases lift. When you say Jesus, destinies change. It's just like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You need to understand something. But a lot of times when we use the name, we don't have the corresponding authority behind it. We, in essence, like Simba, don't have a roar. One day, Simba was backed into a corner by these same three hyenas, and they were coming to get him. They were coming to make him, you know, uh, a meal. And Simba just cries out with his best roar, and it sounded like a little king. He's like, meow. And they start laughing. Oh, is that all you got? That's my best hyena. <laughs> and is that all you got? And, and, and Simba had to find himself. He had to find his kind of holy roar. Your roar is your confidence. So there's power in association with the name, but confidence comes in relationship with the one who carries the name. And once Simba knew that his daddy was the king, once he knew that when he roared, his daddy backed him up, Simba cried out with the, the loudest roar he had. And what he didn't know is simultaneously his daddy was right behind him, and a big roar came out, and all of those hyenas were like, ah, ah, Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa! And he pounced on all of them. And see, so you guys need that same confidence. Authority comes through the name, but uh, confidence comes through association with or relationship or fellowship with the name. The disciples one time had the same thing. They came to Jesus and said, we prayed for this guy. We used your name. It didn't work. And Jesus was upset with them. He said, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. To his followers, to his peeps, he said that. What that means is you're too connected to the world and you're too disconnected from me. And that's why when you use my name, you're not seeing the results. We can't just pray prayers, which is really dropping names. 
Your prayer without Jesus means nothing. But when you pray a prayer in Jesus' name, you drop his name. It can't just be capriciously. It can't just be in some cavalier way. No, you got to use the name, but you have to know the person behind the name. You need to find, some of you need to find your roar. Turn your neighbor and roar. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> you can do that. You can do that. Number two, write this down. He, his name gives you an all-access pass to the Father. All-access pass. I don't know if you've been somewhere with your cell phone and you can't get through. Some of us, sometimes only a miracle will do in your life. And if you're honest, you're calling your mama ain't going to save you. She can't come get you. And she can't help you. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can cry all you want to. Sometimes we need a miracle. Sometimes we need a breakthrough to God. You're saying, yeah, but I prayed, I prayed. Boom, hit the ceiling, drop to the floor. Why? Because you, you weren't using the all-access code, J-E-S-U-S. You weren't using the pa proper password. You weren't realizing that if you use the proper password with the confidence that we just talked about, then wherever you are, you have full coverage and you have full benefits with this, with this name, Jesus Christ. So some of you, you can be anywhere, on a mountaintop, in a valley. You can be doing great with God, and you can break through to God. You can be in a valley and make your bed in hell, and the Bible says he'll be there for you. You have full access, full coverage wherever you are, and you have full benefits because of his name. And there's benefits that come with that name that some of us miss. Not too long ago, I was offered uh, Red Sox tickets from a good friend, and his friend was an umpire, professional umpire. He says, my buddy's got these two tickets for you if you want them. I said, uh, let me pray about it. Yes! <laughs> and he says, they're going to be at will call. All you got to do is go down to will call. They'll be in your name, first base, first row. So I got a buddy of mine that I wanted to impress, and I kind of name-dropped this guy who's an umpire, and, and, and we go, and I'm standing in the line, and I get to the line, I'm like, uh, my name's Derek, I'm here to get my tickets, and they looked at me like a cow at a new gate. You know, they're like, I don't know who you are. Who are you? I said, I'm Derek Fry, I'm here to get some tickets, my friend left some tickets here for me. I'm sorry, we don't have any tickets for you here. I'm like, you got to be careful. I can feel the line behind me. <laughs> you know, and all these people are like, who does this guy think he is? And I'm like, I'm trying to act cool with my friend. I'm like, don't worry about it, it's okay, it's going to be, I'm like, ah. And so... I, it just got, the pressure got so great. Finally, like, oh, my gosh, you guys kidding me? Pay, you know, all these different things. And I begin to walk away, and all of a sudden I go, hang on just a second. Uh, it's not in my name. It's in my friend's name. And I gave him my friend's name, and they go, you should have said that from the beginning, Mr. Fry. Here are your tickets. And they give me two tickets, and they got an escort and brought us to the front, you know, to the first baseline, first seat, walked. I'm like, and I bring my guy. I'm like, hey, man, it's cool. I know what I'm doing. Just follow me, man. Yeah, we, 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 we. you know, I had like all access pass. I mean, right there, what I need to do. So I want you to know, when you, when you receive uh, and you get into this relationship with Jesus and you understand this association, you not only have full coverage to break through, you have benefits in the things that you do. Amen? Here's the, amen, that's good. Number three, write this down. His name promises more in the now, not just the next. See, a lot of times we think Jesus is just about fire insurance. Jesus is just about heaven and hell. Uh, and, 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 and you know what? It's so much more than that. Jesus came for several reasons. To destroy the works of the evil one. To make a way. 1 Timothy 2.5 says to kind of the one mediator between God and man. Yes, he did those things. But another reason he came is John 10.10. Look at this. It says, I came, Jesus, that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. See, my son said something like this. There is the godless life, there's eternal life, but there's also the abundant life. God wants you to live. What does that mean? He wants to give you more now, not just then. And I'm not talking about excessive, you know, crazy. I'm not talking about success. See, a lot of people are living in what I call survival mode, just trying to get through the day, just make it another day. You know, if you're a Christian, just kind of white knuckle it until Jesus comes back. Don't make another mistake. Oh, my God. I don't want to sin. I don't want to hurry, Jesus. Hurry, Jesus. Take the wheel. <laughs> a lot of people are just living like that. That's just survival mode. Some of you are like, no, I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to live large and in charge. And so you're living in success mode. You're going to have this. You're going to do that. You're going you're gonna to make a name for yourself, all that kind of stuff. See, but God wants you to live in significance mode. It's the highest level of living where you're making a difference. You're doing something that matters. And by the way, it's not connected to a person singularly. It's usually connected to a people. Because some of the problems that you're experiencing right now, you can't overcome those problems until you're introduced to bigger ones. And that's why the church is so important in your life. And if you don't have a local church, we love to be a spiritual family to you because we are um, facing and going to do everything we can to try to solve bigger problems than our own. A lot of people are spending their whole life, I call them lint pickers, lint picking Christians. We're just, oh my gosh, I got a problem, I got to work on that. Oh, I just got over that one. And there's another problem, and oh my gosh, there's so many problems, so many problems, 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 problems. You're going to spend the rest of your life working on your problems. God wants you to see outwardly, not inwardly, and he wants you to do something with other people, not by yourself, so you can help so many people. That's the secret sauce, and that's the more life, and that's the significance life that he has for you. Can I have an amen? That's the fulfilled life. Uh, number four, write this down. His name secures our eternity for all who believe. It secures eternity. Now, eternity is misunderstood sometimes. 1 John 5, 13 says, I have written this to you who believe in the name. Everybody say, in the name. In the name of the Son of God so that you may know and have eternal life. There's two things there we'll unpack. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life. What is eternal life? This is eternal life that people know you. The only true God. And they know Jesus Christ, the one you sent. See, here's what happens. When you get the name, you get this eternal security, this eternal completion to your soul. See, eternity is about a completion of your soul. See, you're, you're made in God's image. You're created in his image. Spirit, mind, body. Just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have, there's this parallel. And so you have a part of you, listen, you're born into this world with your mind and your body alive, but your spirit lies dormant until you reach out for God. And God put a hole in your heart, in essence, a spiritual hole, that only that, that, uh, for eternity, a connection with him. Or, see, eternity isn't when you die, a destination. Eternity is when you come to know God. That's when it begins. Eternity begins and starts when you know God. And so this hole in your heart can be filled the moment you know God and you will know him forever and ever and ever, John 17, 3. So God wants to take what's missing, everything you're looking for and all the other things in this world, I'm just telling you, and I just pray only God can transfer the reality of this, the revelation, the truth of this to you. You're not going to find it in her, in him. 
You're not going to find it in that or in this. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not going to find it in success. You're only going to find it in a relationship with Jesus that goes on and on and on forever. Can I have an amen out there? So eternity, eternity looks like this. It just goes on and on and on and on. And what happens is most people are not thinking about the white. Life after, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It keeps on going. We're just living our life for the red. This little portion. This three score and ten years. Maybe you're 80, 90. If you're, if you're blessed, maybe 100 years old, you might live. It's nothing in comparison and contrasted against eternity and some of you are focused on the wrong it's Easter maybe God's trying to get you to see you're looking at the wrong section of life what about this and I want to do this and I want to be able to do this and I, I, I don't know why I don't have this and I'm and all the drama in my relationships and I want to be married and I want to have money and I want to be able to go here and I want to be able to buy that you're focused on this see listen sir man boy girl life is not a it's not a dress rehearsal you don't get another chance this life is a test, and you need to max it out. And your decisions with regards to the name of Jesus will determine where you spend eternity, and it will also determine all your rewards in eternity. See, Jesus said in, in Matthew, he said, you know, those people that decide, those people that, uh, that leave houses and brothers and mothers and fathers and children and, and farms and property uh, for my namesake will receive a hundred times more and inherit eternal life. So everything that you think, oh, I don't want to give that up. God's going to be like, I got all of that for you. Plus you get to be with me forever. We need to focus on eternity. Amen. I'd like the worship team to come, and we're going to worship our way out of here in a kind of climactic way, exalting the name of Jesus. And I hope you'll join with fullness from your soul. But let me, let me close with this thought as you're putting your worship guides away. And please try to be very still because this is an important moment in the service. We're almost done. Let me just say this. Jesus said to Peter one time, he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? <laughs> And Peter said, look, he said this. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, good job, Peter. Heaven and earth hasn't revealed that to you, but my father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, you need, because you sought me, I revealed it to you. See, some of us are trying to find answers with our heads and, 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 and with our minds, which are finite and boxed and limited. God wants you to seek him with your whole heart. God wants you to go after him with all your strength, soul, and might. And if you do, you'll have the same revelation Peter did. But Jesus may be saying to you today, who do you say I am? That's what really matters. Who is Jesus to you? In just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to name drop the most important name, the name that's above every name. And I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. But I would ask that you would join me in this prayer. In fact, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This prayer is really taken from a scripture we already read, Philippians chapter 2. Would you say this with me with every head bowed, every eye closed? Just say, say, Jesus, on Resurrection Sunday, I confess and I believe that your name carries all authority in time of need. Jesus, your name grants all access to the throne of God. Jesus, your name provides abundant life 
in the here and now. And Jesus, your name secures my eternity for the when and then. And so today I confess I'm a sinner who needs you and wants to know you and follow you. I invite you into my heart to be my Savior and Lord. Help me to follow your voice now and forever. In Jesus' name. Now keep your eyes closed, your head bowed just for a second. This is important. If you were here today and you did that for the first time, I know you all, most of you cooperated with that prayer, but you've never name dropped Jesus. You never confessed with your mouth like that and you never believed in your heart. You never put those two things together. You said those things for the first time, that prayer. God in heaven is looking down on this moment. This is your chance to confess him before men so he confesses you before his father. This is an important moment in your eternity. If that was you and you did that for the first time, I want you to, without fear, boldly, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that was me. That was me. Good, put, it, good, put it good and high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Yes, I see that hand over there. All the way in the back, I see that hand right there. Is there anybody else? Thank you, sister, up front here. Thank you for your courage. So awesome. Over there, thank you for your hand. God bless you. That's awesome. God bless you right there. Thank you. You can put your hands down. That's so great. Father, I pray that you just seal these confessions. I thank you, Lord, that the Bible says angels rejoice because another person came to faith. We rejoice with them, and we rejoice in the power and the association with name-dropping Jesus. Let's open our eyes. Let's stand to our feet. Let's begin to worship God and thank him for those decisions that were made, for those confessions that were made. And we worship God, and we say, what a beautiful name he is. God bless you this Easter Sunday. Thank you, guys. Let's worship together.